Peace, everyone. This is Tommy. We're going live on season two, episode one. I'm bringing my wife, Lori, into this. Season uh, two, episode one. Episode one is called A Foundation. And my wife, Lori, will be explaining our relationship, how we met, because a lot of my abandonment issues came into our first getting it together. So here's my wife, Lori. Sweetheart, go. Good day, greetings, and welcome, listeners to Tommy Garcia's Dignity and Respect. We're happy you're here and uh, look forward to hearing back from you. I'll start by saying that there are some things you just can't remember and some things you just can't forget. How Tommy and I met is 1992. We had some mutual friends and we would run into each other often uh, maybe at Trader Joe's, Costco, gas stations. And I was always so enamored by Tommy's personality. Gentleman, very, very polite. And he was very, very funny. Every time I saw him, something he would say would just make me laugh, which happened to have been uh, a name sign I was given by a deaf person when I was very young, name sign for laughter. And we would run into each other at Super Bowl parties and other gatherings. We did have some mutual friends. And I had been trying to introduce a friend of mine who worked at a bank that I did business with. Her first name is Linda. I had been trying to introduce Linda to a friend of Tommy's whose first name was David. And I would have gatherings at my home. One of them would show up, the other one wouldn't. And this went on for well over a year. And it was now Super Bowl 1993. Linda called me and said, what are you doing for Super Bowl? Are you gonna have a party? I had just moved into a new place in Woodland Hills. I had moved from Tarzana. And I was still unpacking, so I declined and told Linda I would be more than happy to see what the gentlemen were doing, what were the guys doing. I called to the condo in Agora, and Tommy answered the phone. I recognized his voice immediately and said, Tommy, I'm still trying to get Linda and David to meet, and so what are you fellas doing for Super Bowl? And Tommy explained that they both had plans and uh, that perhaps uh, we'd have to try again. I mentioned to Tommy that I had moved and had a new phone number, gave him my new phone number, and of course let him know that he was welcome to stop by any time. I always enjoyed his company. And Super Bowl came and went, and we watched, uh, I watched at my home, actually had some uh, interesting Super Bowl uh, watch anyway. And on Tuesday after Super Bowl, my phone rang and it was Tommy. And he was on his way from Los Angeles going out to Agora Hills and wondered if he couldn't stop by to say hello. Of course, I welcomed him. And before he arrived, my dog PJ immediately started getting all excited because Tommy drove at that time a slant nose Porsche. And when he would download the downshift, down downshift, right? down excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> downshift, PJ knew the sound of his car and would start getting all excited, letting me know that Tommy was nearby. So Tommy came in, I gave him the grand tour of the house, 
It was a lovely day, actually. Uh, the sun was out. We went and sat outside for a little bit, enjoyed the pool, uh, talking. It started getting a little cooler when the sun went down behind the trees, so we went inside. And we sat in the living room talking for another, oh, good two hours. And it was just so comfortable. It was as if I had known Tommy my entire life and just felt very, very comfortable and certainly very safe in his presence. And he said, well, you know, maybe, and he started doing this kind of shift. Now, ladies, if you're listening, you know what I'm about to say. He started doing this shift in the chair, kind of wiggling around, and he said, well, you know, maybe, uh, well, uh, maybe we ought to go out sometime. What do you think? And I didn't miss a beat. I said, well, what are you doing tonight? And and, uh, Tommy was, well, uh, what do you have in mind? And I'm a Disney fan, always have been. And they had just started uh, the movie, the Aladdin movie, the Disney feature, had just started playing at the Movies of Tarzana on Ventura Boulevard, just west of, I believe it was Reseda Boulevard. And uh, Tommy said that would, that would be great. He wanted to go home first and uh, get cleaned up, and he'd come back and pick me up. So that's exactly what happened. And we went to the theater, and uh, we watched this adorable animated film. And all throughout the film, I hear Tommy making these wonderfully endearing little sounds. And he's enjoying the film. It's clear that he's enjoying the the film. And I'm thinking to myself, is this real? Or I have to pinch myself because he's really enjoying my Disney film. We exit the, uh, the, the theater, run into uh, some people that we knew who had just seen the other film that was showing, which is My Cousin Vinny, which happens to be one of Tommy and I. That's one of our favorite, right? That's true, 100%. <laughs> And uh, Tommy said, well, it was like around 7.30, I think. And he said, you want to grab a bite to eat? And I immediately thought of my friend Lynn had told me about a place not far from where we were called Paoli's Gourmet Pizzeria and Piano Bar. And I asked Tommy if he likes pizza. And he said, oh, pizza, my middle name. And he's not kidding. Tommy loves pizza or he enjoys pizza. And uh, so we went on our way there. Tommy mentioned to me that uh, he said, did you call it Paoli's? I said, yeah, Paoli's. He said, I went to boarding school in Paoli. And I didn't really want to get into anything deep or personal about our past. So it kind of just went in one ear and out the other. I said, oh, that's good. That's nice. Get to Paoli's, the scent of the delicious Italian food hits you when you walk in the door, Uh, had a great place to sit. There was a pianist playing, lovely music background. And we had a pizza with shrimp on there, a couple glasses of house Merlot. The conversation never stopped. It was as pleasant as it is to this day. So suddenly it's now going on 11 o'clock. So we've been there now almost four hours. And I had an early morning appointment in Anaheim, California the next morning at California Woodworking Machinery. I had a meeting with Mike Mendelson. And I said to Tommy, you know, we could sit here forever, but I've got to get up early. So if you could take me home, that'd be great. 
not a problem. As usual, he opens up the door for me to get in, helps me get the seatbelt on, and that's just his natural personality. That's what he does even to this day. And uh, driving back to my home, it was about a maybe 10-minute drive, and the conversation is continuing to just be very pleasant. And when we get to my house, and Tommy opens the door, helps me out of the car, walking to the walking to the front door, he says, I had such a nice time tonight, Lori, and I hope you did too. I said, I did, Tommy, I really did. And I uh, open up my front door, and he said, I'd love to see you again. Do you have plans for Friday? And I said, if I do, I'll break them because that's exactly how I felt. I would do anything to spend more time with him. He then said, well, get in there and close the door, lock it so I know you're safe. So my sense was, boy, who talks like this? But it was very genuine. And then he did something that even as I say it, I get goosebumps. He gave me a kiss on my cheek. He didn't do much more, just a very pleasant peck on the cheek. And he said, have a good night rest. I'll talk to you soon. I closed the door, locked it, and literally danced around my living room like I was 16 in love for the first time. I wasn't 16, but I do believe I was in love for the very first time. The next day I went to my appointment. It went very well, as it usually did with the Mendelssohn's. And uh, when I got back to my home office, the phone rang, and it was Tommy, and he repeated that he had had a very lovely time, and uh, he wanted to make sure I didn't change my mind about going out, so he wanted to give me uh, another phone, another two phone numbers for him. I already had the condo. He gave me the phone number for his office in downtown Los Angeles at All Top Steam Equipment, and he gave me his mobile phone number and said, you know, if you change your mind, Lori, just give me a call and I'll understand. Well, I didn't change my mind, and he said he'll think of something really good to do, but do I like boating? And I had to admit that I'd never been on a boat, so I didn't know. And he mentioned, well, he keeps a boat out in Oxnard, and if I could break away early, we could go for a harbor cruise and then have dinner on the beach. I started shivering, going, oh, this is so amazing. And uh, I said, that would be great. I would really like to do that. Immediately ran over to Nordstrom and asked my gal, Melissa, what do you wear on a boat? Anyway, got that all set up. The next day, Tommy called again and said, hey, Lori, just again, checking in. Did you uh, still want to do this on Friday? I said, absolutely. And he said, great. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. And I replied that I was as well. So on Friday morning at uh, oh, about 10.30, I believe, 10.30 or 11 in the morning, my phone rang. And what I heard was, Lori, it's Tom, not going to make it. Click. And he had hung up. And I instinctively said, well, there's something wrong because he's not changing his mind not after those conversations, not after those three confirming phone calls. So what I did is I picked up the phone and first called the shop in Los Angeles, and it was answered by a recording with Tommy's voice. And I left a message saying that the message was for Tommy, and please give me a call. And then I tried his mobile number. There was no 
answer or recording device. So then I called the condo. And uh, roommate David answered the phone, and I said, David, it's Lori. Is Tommy there? His answer was pretty straightforward, yes. And I said, well, can I please speak with him? And David's answer was he didn't think it was a very good idea. I said, well, David, what's going on? And uh, David said, well, didn't he tell you about his sister? Didn't you hear about his sister? I said, David, I didn't even know he had a sister. And that's when I got hit with what I call a Virgil, a verbal, excuse me, a verbal sledgehammer. David said, well, his sister was murdered last night. He has a rash of, sh- rash of shit to deal with. I said, oh my goodness, David, please, I am a friend. Would you please tell Tommy that as his friend, if he needs a shoulder or an ear, I am here for him. And that was the end of that conversation. And I sat in my office thinking, what do I know about Tommy? I know that at that very moment, my heart was hurting for him. I knew nothing about his family. I knew nothing about his past. I only knew that he was a gentleman. I knew that I enjoyed being in his company, that he was genuine and sincere when he spoke and that I really enjoyed being in his company and I felt very safe with him. A couple hours go by and my phone rang and it was Tommy and he asked if he could come by. I said, absolutely, yes. So again, when PJ hears his car, he gets all excited and when Tommy rang the bell and I opened the door, standing in my doorway, was an ashen man. His face looked, he just looked exhausted. And in his left hand was an oversized manila envelope, very, very large manila envelope. And I said, Tommy, I'm so very sorry. Please come in. And he didn't move. He stood there and he said, Lori, there are things about me you don't know. And when you know them, you may not want anything to do with me. My reply was, Tommy, you're in shock. Please come in. And again, he stood fast, didn't move, and said, it's complicated. Would you read something? I said, of course. He handed me that manila envelope, and only then did he walk in. And as he walked in, PJ, who would normally be very excited to see Tommy, he, was, he sensed that something was not quite right. So he just simply followed Tommy, who walked across the room, sat down on the sofa, and PJ jumped up and cuddled in next to him at his hip. I sat down at the dining room table, and Tommy told me where to look in this uh, big newspaper. When I took, what I did is I opened up this big manila envelope and took out an entire Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper from December 19, uh, what was the year, babe? 1989. 1989, thank you. And he told me where to look, and I went to that section, and it's the magazine, and at the very top of the magazine page, I see the words, inside the, uh, no, excuse me, it says at the top, the lost child of mother and father divine. 
I'm going to repeat that. Across the top of the page, it says, the lost child of mother and father divine. And then the article itself is called Life After Heaven. I read this 14-page article that is written by Suzanne Gordon, who is a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And there's a lot of it that is very confusing. And I look over at Tommy, and his head is against the back of the sofa, facing up, and he's sound asleep, or at least he sure looked like he was asleep, and I believe he was. So I read the article again, and I have at least a dozen questions. I was not an internet person at the time, but I was and still am a library lover. So I wrote a quick note and said to Tommy, Tommy, I will be back. And I had made him a sandwich and some iced tea and brought out a pillow and a blanket from the guest bedroom and went over to the Woodland Hills Public Library and looked up as much as I could about who Father Divine was, Mother Divine, and the Peace Mission Movement, and wrote down some books that I wanted to get, that I did get, but that I was not able to access at the library. I would have to purchase them. When I came back to the house, Tommy had eaten half of the sandwich, which I was happy to see, and the uh, iced tea glass was empty. And he was actually lying down now with his head on the pillow and the blanket was uh, partially covering him. And PJ was still cuddled up with him, didn't move. Normally PJ would jump to see me. He just looked at me as if to say, I'm not moving, and that was fine. So I went into uh, my bedroom and maybe an hour or so later, I heard Tommy softly calling my voice saying, Lori, are you here, Lori? So I came out and uh, I said, gosh, Tommy, I, I really am just so sorry. I'm so sorry. Do you know what happened? And he said, I only know what I was told. And uh, basically, I was called at the middle of the night. I think it was four or five in the morning. Tommy was called by the Los Angeles coroner who advised him that his sister Susan had been shot and that the detective who would be handling the case would contact Tommy when she could be uh, taken. Uh, very somber and I wanted to be very respectful of Tommy's feelings. I had never met anyone who had a family member that had been shot. I had never known anyone who had been shot. Uh, and my feelings were I wanted to ask Tommy, so I gently asked about his sister. And that's when he explained to me that she was uh, actually my age. She was born on August 25th, 1958. So she was unfortunately shy of her 35th birthday and that they had grown up under very unusual circumstances. And he said, quote, they took her soul. She never had a chance. I didn't know exactly what that meant at the time, but I made a mental note that I needed to understand what that meant. And given what I had read in this very 
strange newspaper article, I felt that there would be a lot that I was going to have to learn. I wanted again to repeat that I wanted to be very respectful of Tommy's feelings and situation that he was in. And so I asked him if he wanted to talk. And he said, well, a little bit. And so I asked him about who Father Divine and Mother Divine were and how he got there. And I, the first question really that I said to him was, Tommy, why you? Why were you driven across the country from Los Angeles to Philadelphia by your natural mom and delivered to Father and Mother Divine? And his eyes, not only did they get real wide, they welled up with tears because he said to me very softly, I don't know. I only know what happened to me. Now, when you think about that, nobody likes to not know the answers to who they are and where they came from. But in this particular situation, Tommy didn't know. So I asked him other questions, and the answers that Tommy gave, he answered almost always accented with a story. Very often, including some very famous people, not just celebrities and actors, but musicians, uh, Elvis Presley and Walter Matthau and the governor of, of Philadelphia and senators and uh, it, was, it was just one after another after another. And it was just so matter of fact. It wasn't a bragging story at all. Um, it was just pretty, this is, this is what happened. And this is who I was with. I needed to know. And, and before I go to that sentence, let me say this. We spent the weekend. Tommy spent the entire weekend with me at my home, and literally on that sofa, we watched HBO movies, uh, we snacked on foods from Trader Joe's, and uh, sat outside a little bit in the fresh air and sunshine, but mostly it was really very, very quiet. At that time, I made a decision, a personal decision, that Tommy did not seem like the kind of person to tell wild, concocted lies, stories filled with these exotic information. Just, it, he was not that kind. So I decided I was going to see what kind of research I could do if these stories were true. I had worked for a prominent market research company, Dun & Weiser, in Encino for quite some time. And I learned all about research and probing and things like that. Uh, but that's what I decided to do on my own. On Monday morning, Tommy's mobile phone rang. And it was about, I don't know, 7 or 7.30, I believe. And what I heard Tommy saying was, yes, sir, I understand. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir, I understand. Okay, yes, sir, thank you, I understand. And that was it. And he ended the call with, I'll make the necessary arrangements. Thank you again. He then looked at me and said, may I use your house phone? I said, absolutely. He then made a phone call, and I heard him say, 
Pop, not Dad, not Father, Pop. Susie can be retrieved. I will call the mortuary and make arrangements. I, I don't remember what the name of the mortuary was, but uh, it was uh, arrangements were made. Tommy then used the phone for that as well for Thursday. Haste and hasty, hasty something like that. Anyway, um, and while Tommy and Tommy left, and uh, it was very difficult because I wanted to hug him, just my my need to hug him. But Tommy's not a hugger, and so when before he was leaving. I tried to hug him and he was very stiff and I asked if I could hug him and he put one arm around me. I said, that's not a hug. A hug takes two arms, Tommy, two arms. So he hugged me and it was still a little bit stiff and I said, you know I'm here for you. I am here for you, whatever you need, I am a friend. And um, he left, he went and did whatever it was that he did, and later that day he called again and asked if he could come come back. I said, absolutely. And I had spent some time, more time, I had called USC Library and UCLA Library and Cal State Northridge Library to find out if there were books available. I had ordered some books uh, immediately through Barnes & Noble, or I think it was Borders Bookstore actually, Anyway, when he came back, I had a lot of questions for him. And I asked some of them, but what was happening is when Tommy didn't know the answer, it would anger him. And again, I was trying to be very respectful of what was going on, but I needed to know if these stories he was telling me were true. Uh, so over the course of the next couple of weeks, well, first of all, what they did is they had their services. I asked Tommy if he would like me to be there. He said no. I respected that. And then uh, they immediately took, Susie was, Susan uh, was cremated, and they made the family decision to bring her to uh, the, across the border in uh, Mexico. There's a Garcia family, I don't know if it's a area or cemetery, but they were going to put Susan's ashes with her grandparents, who, as I can explain it best, Susan was very loved by, and Tommy felt that that would be the best place for her, surrounded by love. And uh, we would kind of, we'd have some good moments, and then we'd have some arguments. Because again, I would ask questions that he didn't know, and he would say, why do you have to ask me those things? And I said, well, Tommy, we have to set a foundation. We have to set a foundation for our friendship or this relationship that it seems to be evolving in because the truth is we're very comfortable together and it really feels like we're meant to be together and to use that word, beshert, for us to be together. Um, but we were still establishing this, this foundation. Tommy. Well, <clears throat> she started vetting me then and she's never stopped because then there was no internet. 
now that there's internet, every time I come up with a story, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I hear the keyboard going. And she's typing away, vetting me out, seeing if it was true. Um, it, it's important. I had, through being abandoned, it always gave me a one foot out the door. So I really never had a great foundation in any relationship I had ever been in before. And she was teaching me what a foundation was. And to be able to start a relationship, getting everything out, the bad, the good, everything, and making a strong foundation that couldn't be cracked later on in life. Well, I guess it's worked for 30 years. We've been together 24-7, married 26 of those years. And she's been vetting me ever since. But it's important to know about this foundation because we're going to talk about relationships and how being abandoned at a young age how it affected me when I was younger and it stayed with me till today. So everybody, have a good day. We'll come back with the, uh, the, the next uh, episode, which will be episode two. It'll be talking about abandonment and peace out and love you all. Take care.